At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you were with us last week, you know that we began a little series called Your World Peace. And when we talk about your world peace, again, we're not talking about the kind of peace that happens on the other side of an ocean that is a product of a a war fought between two armies and eventually a treaty signed by a leader that you've never met. That's often what we think about when we think of world peace, but that's not the kind of peace that we've been focused on inside of this series. Instead of focusing on uh, peace between countries where we're talking about our world peace, peace in our world, when the fight comes to our driveway, our neighborhood, or even the interior of our lives, how can you and I find peace with God in the midst of those fights? Friends, that's what we're looking at right now, and Philippians chapter 4 is the text that we are are looking to, to find that direction. And last week, we began by talking about how we can have peace with people. And we looked at Yodia and Syntyche in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4 of Philippians as Paul encouraged them to pursue a unity that they have in the Lord and how it's possible for us to have peace with people. And we looked at that last Sunday. Today, we're going to be continuing this series, and we're going to be talking not about peace with people and not just peace in our front lawn, but today we're going to be talking about peace on the interior of our lives, on the inside of us. Is it possible for us to have the peace of God experienced day by day and moment by moment, even as battles wage on the interior of our lives? Now, friends, I I don't know about you, but the last several months have probably revealed struggles on the inside of your life that you did not know were there. Or if you knew they were there, maybe it has accentuated them to some degree. But there is a real fight that many inside of our body are experiencing right now as it deals with relating with the world around us, but that fight is happening on the inside of our lives. I don't know what word you would put over it, whether it is anger or frustration or disappointment or depression or anxiety or worry, but insert the word that you use to describe the feeling that describes the war that is happening on the inside of your life. And the question before us today is, is it possible for us to experience the peace of God on that battlefield, the battlefield of our own mind, the battlefield of our own soul. We're going to see that today from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. Now, before I open us and point us to uh, these verses, I want to just acknowledge for a moment uh, a a truth that I thought of this week uh, that was shared with me by a more experienced pastor a number of years ago. There were a group of pastors who had gathered, and he talked to us, and and this is what he said. He said, we all preach a better message than we live. We all preach a better message than we live. Now, for some of you, when I put that on the screen and I read those words, you're thinking, see, I knew it. All you pastors are just a bunch of hypocrites. That's what you were thinking. I, I got it. 
But let me go beyond and just say, not just those who preach, but everyone who teaches a Sunday school class, everyone who leads a small group, everyone who has ever opened a Bible to read to their children at night, guess what? We all proclaim a better message than we live, at least I hope we do. Otherwise, we are the cap, right? We're the limit. The reality is that all of us who point people to Jesus are pointing to one far greater than us. Amen? Right? So when we think of the message that we teach, it is always going to be a message that, that outdistance our ability to live it. But there are some passages of Scripture that when we come to them, that discrepancy between how we live and what we read is even greater. And Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9 is one of those sections. This is what it says in, in rough terms. Inside of these verses, it says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, that we are not to be anxious about anything, and that we are to think on and, and, and dwell on and focus on only the good. Now, here's the thing. As I read those words, I'm reading them inside of a week where I am anxious and nervous and worried and even depressed a little bit, right? I, I feel the gap between what I'm getting ready to preach and the life that I'm living. And I'm guessing that this gap exists not just in my own soul, but this gap is probably going to exist in your soul as well. And so I'm here today, friends, not as a hypocrite. I'm admitting that I fall short of this. But I'm here today to preach a better message than I live, to point us to the God who is so much greater than we are, much better than we can describe, much better than we can reflect. We're going to look to Him today, and we're going to hopefully find the direction on where you and I can run to pursue peace inside of our own mind and inside of our own soul. We're going to look at that today from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. If you've got a Bible, open up to those verses. I want to read them for us, and then we'll back up and, and, and summarize it in terms of five commands from this passage that will help us experience the peace of God in our own lives. Again, Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. He's writing this letter to his friends at the church in Philippi, a town in the Roman Empire. This is what he says. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, friends, in those verses, the Apostle Paul is writing to us, describing a peace in our world, in our minds, in our souls. And in describing the path to that peace, he gives us five different commands for us to look at 
today. What are they? The first of those commands is this. We are commanded to choose joy. To choose joy. Now, we see this in verse 4. And in verse 4, the Apostle Paul provides a simple command, and he provides it not once, but twice. He repeats it. What is that command? That command is to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, why is it that Paul felt the need to repeat that command? Why is it that he had to say it twice? I think the reason why he had to say it twice, friends, is exactly what you're thinking. Because it's so hard to do. If he mentions it once, they might miss it. But he mentions it twice. This is as if in the ancient language he is putting it in bold face, underlined, italic, raising the font size. He doesn't want them to miss it. They are to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, what's fascinating about this is he says always, right? To rejoice means to celebrate. To choose to celebrate, not sometimes, but always. Now, that's not the way we think about celebrations, is it? That's not the way we think of rejoicing. We think of celebrating, we think of joy, we think of rejoicing as happening when everything goes the way that we want it to go. We, we think that We can celebrate when our team wins. We can celebrate when the plan that we want for school is the plan that the district or the college has adopted. We think that we can celebrate when all of our friends treat us the way that we want to be treated. We think that we can celebrate when there has never been any injustice that has been enacted against us. We think that we can celebrate only in those moments. That's the way that we think and conceive of celebration, of joy, and of rejoicing. But the Apostle Paul writes, and he doesn't have that as his category. He doesn't say, rejoice some of the time, rejoice when it goes your way. He says, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Now, when he says that, I don't think he's saying that believers in Christ are to walk around with two confetti cannons, ready to celebrate every moment, just like, boom, yoo-hoo, yes, awesome. Everything is great, like the Lego movie, right? Or everything is awesome, like the Lego movie. That's, we, we think that maybe that's, that's what he has in mind, but we would misunderstand it. Paul is, is not saying that the same level of celebration is fit for every moment. Kevin and Abe, just a couple of weeks ago, reminded us of the place of lament inside of the Christian life. There's an appropriateness to that. But when Paul says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, what he is saying is there is no circumstance in your life, there is no situation that you will face in which you cannot find a reason to celebrate the Lord in that moment. Now, when Paul said this, how did the Philippians respond? You ever wonder about that? How'd they respond? Some of you might be thinking, well, they probably responded the way I do, which is a a, a shrug shoulder and an eye roll, like, yeah, right, Paul, whatever, right? You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how hard that would be in my particular circumstance. There's some sense where we look at this and we imagine the Philippians rejecting this idea, but, but that's not what they did. 
And the reason why I don't think it's what they did is because Paul had not just said this to them, but Paul had modeled this in, his, in their midst. Remember just for a moment that this is not a letter between people that don't know each other. This is a letter from the founder of the church and his congregation. He knew these people. He loved them. He had been involved in ministry in their, in their midst. Acts chapter 16 tells us the story of when Paul first made his journey into Philippi. When he got there, he began proclaiming Christ and inviting people to follow him, and and people began to believe Lydia first, and then some others, and a church was formed. But as often happened for Paul, when the church began to grow, when the church began to form, opposition developed against the gospel, opposition developed against Paul. So you know what happened to Paul in the city of Philippi? As he was preaching, there was a, a, a young woman who was a slave girl who was possessed by a demon who was being exploited by her master. And this slave girl comes up to Paul, and Paul sees her, and he prays for her, and he casts the demon out of her. He, he sets this young woman who was enslaved, he sets her free. But in the process of setting her free, he took away the meal ticket of her master because she no longer had this demon that could tell prophecies and, and those kinds of things and do parlor tricks for friends. Suddenly, the, the master's business is shut down. So what happened to Paul? Well, the local officials there in Philippi took an issue with Paul and Silas, and they, they take him out into the public area. They strip him down naked. They grab rods, and they beat them with those rods. And then after they beat them with those rods till their body is broken and bruised and bleeding, they take them to the very inner, deepest, darkest dungeon that Philippi knew, and they clamp those bruised and broken legs into stocks, and they hold them there. Now, in that moment, what do you think Paul would do? What would you do? I know for me, I would probably complain. Whose idea was it to come to this town? What's going to happen to our church? Who's going to lead it if I'm in, in stocks? Good things were starting to happen. All we were trying to do was to help this young woman. I mean, we would grumble. We would complain. That's not what Paul does, though, right? Look at what he does and. Acts chapter 16, 25 to 34, I'll just read it for you. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns. This is in the deepest, darkest dungeon. They were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And the jailer took them that same hour of night, and he washed Paul and Silas's wounds. And then the jailer was baptized at once with his entire family. And then he brought them into his house, and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with 
his entire household that had believed in God. Friends, you know what that story reminds me of? What that story reminds me of is that when Paul writes to that same Philippian church and he says, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, you know who takes that seriously? A jailer who's sitting about two-thirds of the way back, about where Fred is. Fred, wave at us. About where Fred is, that's where the jailer's sitting. That's probably where the jailer sits. Not that you're a jailer, Fred, but that's about the jailer section of the Philippian congregation. And when this letter is read, that jailer stands up and says, it's true. That's what he did. He rejoiced in the Lord even in the deepest, darkest dungeon. He rejoiced in the Lord even when he was beaten with rods. He rejoiced in the Lord even when he had been embarrassed publicly. Take this seriously, friends. It's possible. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. And then the jailer and his family would say, and my guess is there is some jailer and their family in Rome who are deeply blessed right now because of Paul's continued, continued choice to choose joy even in that moment. Now, friends, when I say choose joy, again, that's not how we often think of it. We think of joy as the product of circumstances. Things go the way we want, and then we get joy. That's not what Paul says. Joy here is a command. Rejoice. It's a choice that's available to us. Regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our situation, it's possible for you and I to choose joy in that moment in the Lord. Again, we, we can't choose joy on our circumstances, right? I can't say, you know, Lord, thank you so much. Paul did not say, thank you so much it smells so terrible in this dungeon. No, it wasn't found in the circumstance. He doesn't say, thank you so much for the, the, the size of, and the, the shape of this bruise from that rod beating. It looks really pretty in its color. He didn't find his joy in his circumstances that way. But what he did was he found joy in the Lord that was able to say, Lord, thank you that I am willing to, that you have made me willing and given me the opportunity to suffer in your name. Thank you that we have fellowship together in this moment. Thank you that the gospel can go forth. Thank you that there's a church that is being built that is not dependent upon me. It is possible to have joy in the midst of this event if our perspective is grounded in the Lord. Friends, I don't know what you're going through right now. Are you choosing joy? Some of you might, might say, yes, but what about that choice seems impossible to me because I struggle with anxiety, I struggle with depression, I struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder, I struggle with a mental illness, I struggle with whatever it might be that is making it impossible for me to choose joy. And if that's your case, my compassion goes to you, but I would encourage you Pursue the health that you can find from, from doctors, from counselors. Pursue those things that you may get back to a, a base level position. But once you get back to that spot, guess what? You're still going to have a choice. Will you choose joy in that moment? Paul says it's possible. He modeled it for us. Will you celebrate him in that moment? Choose joy is the first command that we see. The second command that we see is the command to spread grace to spread grace. We see this in verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, it's the, 
known to everyone part that I, I think we focus on in terms of the spread. And when we think about spread, that is a phrase that we have never used as much as we have in the spring of 2020, right? Stop the spread. You're shedding virus. I didn't even know that was a thing, but that's like a thing now, right? People talk about shedding virus, spreading a disease. What Paul is talking about here is he says that we're going to be spreading something, right? Our, our lives will be, be felt by others. They will have an impact on others. What are you exporting? What aroma is about your life? What Paul says, he says, if you choose joy, guess what will happen? Those around you will experience you and will experience something wonderful that God is doing. They will experience a reasonableness. Now, what in the world does that mean? This word that is here translated reasonableness in the English Standard Version Bible is a word that is uh, hard to translate. Demonstrated by the fact that many English translations use a different word to describe uh, that sentiment or that idea. Uh, It's described as a reasonableness or a considerateness or a gentleness or a gentle spirit. Those are all different attempts to take this concept and to anchor it in an English language understanding. I use here grace not because it is the word grace, but because the concept of graciousness is, I think, what Paul had in mind. What he's saying is those that choose joy will will spread a graciousness among those that they are around. If we do not choose joy, we we will share our angerness and our frustration and our bitterness with everybody who's around us. And we know that, right? If you don't know what you are exporting or sharing, just ask your spouse if you're married or Kids ask your parents, or parents ask your kids, or ask your friends that you regularly communicate with. What are we? What are we? What are we putting out into the world? Paul says it's possible to export, and for all to see about us our graciousness, our reasonableness, our gentleness, our considerateness, our joy, and our peace that we have in Christ. Is that what people are experiencing on the other side of you? Before you came today, you probably put on some deodorant to mask your normal scent or some cologne or some aftershave or some perfume. But when you think about this moment, it's saying not just to take care of our physical body, but that our spirit might emit a fragrance that is pleasing in Christ. And it's based on how we choose to respond to the situations that we are in. You want to have peace inside of your soul, you'll choose joy, and then you will spread grace to others as a result. But a third command that we see inside of this passage is that we are to pray when worried. We're to pray when worried. Now, we see this anchored in verses 6 and 7, two of the most famous verses in the entire New Testament. Paul writes in that section and he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is Paul talking about inside of that section? Well, I think what he is doing is he wants to to, to hardwire inside of us the connection between our worry and anxiety and the response of prayer. See, 
Paul understands that we're not going to walk around celebrating all the time. There's going to be challenges that are happening on the interior of our lives. But what he wants us to do when those challenges come is he wants us to have hardwired inside of us that we drop to our knees and pray. Think about it this way. Many of you might be familiar with Pavlov's dog. You ever heard of Pavlov's dog? Pavlov's dog was a a dog that was a part of an experiment um, and, and in that experiment, there was a sound, and then there was food that was delivered to that dog. So click, food, click, food, click, food, click, food. And that dog had hardwired into its system that after the click came food. So after a while of building that automatic response, the click happens, but the experimenters took away the food. What happened to the dog? The dog still salivated, Right? Why? Because the dog had hardwired the connection between the click and the food. I think in a similar way, what Paul is saying is we need to hardwire inside of us the feelings of worry and anxiousness with the response of prayer so that when we are worried and when we are anxious, we immediately respond in prayer to the Lord. Now, what's interesting is he he describes prayer in this section through a number of different terms. He talks about supplication. He talks about requests. In other translations, you might see the idea of petitions being made. All of those are a great way to talk about prayer because in prayer, we're able to make our requests known to God. But those are phrases that often can be used of any kind of communication. You know, if I'm thirsty in, in this moment, You know, I could ask Sierra, Sierra, could you go get me a glass of water? And that would be a request that I make of her. I'm I'm doing fine, but but if let's just say that I needed that, I could make that request, and she could go get that water and bring it back. We're used to making requests. But what what Paul was saying was, I know when you are worried, and I know when you're anxious, that, that you will want to talk about that with someone. But he says, instead of just going and talking to another person who may or may not be able to help you, Instead, hardwire inside of yourself that when the worry and the anxiousness come, that we go to the God who is always able to help us in the midst of our need. When we are experiencing a lack of peace, go to the God of peace and have him provide his peace as we need it. Friends, are we building that habit inside of our own lives? Have we hardwired that connection? For many of us, the answer to that is probably no. And so what can we do to change it? Well, let me ask you, how many of you have a time when your worry or your anxiousness is greater than others? For some of you, it might be before you go to bed at night. For others of you, it might be when you wake up in the morning. Still, for for others, it, it might be before you go into the office or before you go into school or before your kids get up or after your kids go to bed or whatever it might be. There, there are these moments in our lives where we can already predict that my anxiousness or my worry might be higher at certain times. And if that's the case, in order to build this connection and this pattern, here's what I would encourage you to do. Take your phone and this week, go ahead and set an alarm for all of the times when you are most likely to be anxious or to worry. But set it about five minutes before you think that's going to come about. And then when that alarm goes off, just take five minutes and just pray. And pray for the Lord to give you his peace in that moment. What that alarm hopefully would do is help to build within us the connection between anxiousness in prayer. Choose joy, spread grace, 
Pray when worried. But there's a fourth command that he gives us, and we see it in verse 8, to, to focus on the good. To focus on the good. Look at what it says in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What Paul was getting at there is he says, you know what, if you spend all of your time thinking about everything that is broken, guess what emotion and feeling you will have? Anxiety, worry, depression, fear, you name it. But he says, if we take in a disciplined way and go in the midst of those moments of our anxiety and and pray, but also focus on what the Lord is doing and His goodness. It's amazing that the different, the change that makes to our countenance. How is it that we can focus on the good in these moments? Friends, just a couple of ideas. Listen to music. You know, why is it that we sang these songs at the beginning of our service today? Why do we have the song sung over us? It's so that all of our minds might focus on and center on what is good. That we might rest in the goodness of God, even in this moment. It allows peace to come to the interior of our lives. Fill your home with the songs of the Lord. We have access to music like nobody has ever had access in the history of humanity. Take advantage of it. Not only with music, but also with Scripture. Open God's Word and read it, and inside it, see His perspective, see how good He is all the time. See His direction and His encouragement and the hope for all eternity. Not only do we look to Scripture and music, but also gather in fellowship with other believers. As we we gather together, there's an intensity to this, right? Because we share it together. We remind each other of things that we've forgotten. Music, scripture, fellowship, what's that sound like? Sounds like the church, doesn't it? Sounds like the church. I think what Paul is saying is this, church, when you gather, think on the right things, encourage each other with this great truth, and find a peace on the interior of your life as a result. Does church be the church? And I I think knowing that, it it should be no surprise to us that in an era when many of our public gatherings and and our our reading of Scripture might have been disrupted because we've been focused on other things, that our experience of the peace of God has gone down because we're focused on different things. If you're dealing with anxiety and worry and frustration, I promise you reading that next article on CNN or Fox News will not satisfy your soul. We think it will. We're upset and we're nervous, and so we think, if I just read one more article, it'll all come clear. You're at that point of anxiety and worry and depression. Think on the Lord in that moment. That's the encouragement of Paul. Scanning your news feed, your social media channels, probably will not bring the peace that you desire. The Lord can grant it. Turn to Him. Last thing I would say has to do with what Paul says in verse 9, and that is that practice is essential. I love what he says. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. In other words, hey, remember my experience with you. When I was in prison, I prayed when I was anxious. I chose, I chose joy and, and praise God even in the midst of the shackles. 
the, the Philippian jailer would, could, could, could echo and say, grace and joy and peace came to my house when Paul came there because of his perspective on the Lord. And, and he just wrote an entire letter, the letter to Philippians, that was focused on the good. Paul says, this example that you've seen with, from me, guess what, Paul says? Don't just see it, but do it. Put it into practice. In other words, just hearing this message and nodding as the pastor is reading it will not bring you peace. What will bring you peace is if we, we put into practice the things that are listed here. That's what he says. Practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. Friends, in response to this message, don't just go, nice message but actually take a step to put into practice some of what we've, we've talked about today. Encouragement from the Apostle Paul that you and I need to find peace in our world. You pray with me. Father, thank you so much for just the opportunity to open your word and to look at it today. Thank you for the encouragement and the hope that we have found here. Father, uh, I just confess that that so many of these categories are, are areas and places where I struggle and live out imperfectly. But you are a perfect God, and I'm so thankful that you have given us this text today so that we might respond differently than our circumstances or pattern or past might indicate. But this week, Father, may we rest in you, that we would receive peace from you, the God of peace. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen.